I have a confession to make. I had the idea to write a book for years before I finally put pen to paper and published the book. So the big question is this, how do people like me who battle doubt and insecurity push past their fears and publish a book? Well, that is the question, and this podcast is going to give you the answers. So join me as I bring you behind-the-scenes interviews and insights so that you can move forward and publish your book with boldness and courage. My name is Coach Tam, and this is Publishing Secrets. Do you have a burning desire to write a book that positively impacts others, yet you're wrestling? You're wrestling because as passionate as you are about this message, there are voices. Voices from well-meaning family and friends that are convinced that you're on the wrong path. And then there's the voice in your own head. If you can identify with what I've shared, you are definitely going to want to tune into this episode. Joining me is one of my new partners in crime. That's how I'll describe her, Julie Broad of Book Launchers. I say that because we have a similar mission. We want to equip and empower you to get your message out to the people that you are called to serve and do it in such a way that allows you to build a brand and grow or start a business. Interestingly enough, Julie had to walk the walk there were voices that she had to overcome. So this episode is going to walk you through the process of pushing past the opinions of others and stepping boldly into what you have been called to do. We're also going to demystify the writing process for you, talk about the things that are really important that are included in your book, help you understand the difference between the many publishing options, and ensure that the book that you put out really represents you well and sets you up to offer additional products and services. So grab your pen and paper. It's time to take notes. I know that this episode is going to bring you one step closer to getting it done. Enjoy. Well, Julie, welcome to Publishing Secrets. I'm honored to have you here with us today to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and I know our listening audience is going to learn so much, using books to build a business. And you've had a really interesting journey yourself, which I think we can learn a lot from. And there's a lot of things that we'll share today that will really empower the audience. So I just want to start off by thanking you for making the time to be here with us today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, let's kind of start with, if you will, the first careers. So I know that you started out in real estate prior to moving into the field that you are in now, which is helping business leaders to publish books that help to grow their impact and their influence. Tell us about, you know, your time in the real estate industry and kind of what led to this transition into the publishing space. Yeah. And I mean, for me, real estate actually began with a book. So, you know, it's funny how books have such a powerful impact on our lives. And, you know, for me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad was the book that opened my eyes and I went, oh, I need to get my money working hard for me. And I took the money I'd been saving for my MBA and I bought my first investment property. 
And then I financed my MBA because it's easier to get student loans than it is to get house loans. That's smart. (laughs) And so that just kind of set me down the real estate journey. And I never intended to be a full-time real estate investor, but it's just one of those things where as my career evolved and I hit this moment, you know, kind of this pivotal moment where I'd risen the ranks in this company that I was working for. And I remember my boss, I'd spent a month prepping for the meeting with the board of directors, kind of for our, our annual plan. And he read it and we were meeting to review it. And he just slid this piece of paper across and he said, those are your three goals. And underneath are the five ways you're going to achieve it. So I was suddenly accountable for the results and had no control over how I was supposed to achieve them. And I just felt like a caged animal in that moment. So I, in my head, I quit. I didn't like storm out and quit. In I love that. Situation. In my head, I quit. That's cool. <laughs> and I set to work planning and a month later I, I resigned and I quit that job. And I went out on my own. And that's when I became a full-time real estate investor. But this was 2008. So, you know, really great time to become a wow. full-time real estate Man, investor. Man, you might have had a moment of like, what did I just do? <laughs> I know, I did, I did. But it actually was a really great time to start buying property. It was just a really hard time to raise capital. <laughs> yeah. Because nobody, nobody wanted to get into real estate at that time. But you know, the deals that we did in 2008, 2009, even 2010 turned out to be really, really good, but they were hard years. So I didn't set myself up for easiness. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, but all of that experience really taught me a lot. And I started to build a platform. I started to teach people through YouTube and I started a newsletter and I didn't do it with any intent of it being a business. Initially, it was just me sharing because people thought it was interesting, you know, cause I was in my early twenties when I started this. So, you know, to see this 28 year old person with, you know, I don't know, I had 11 properties or something people wanted to know. So I just started sharing it and little bit by bit, I started to build, I realized there was an opportunity to build a training and education company. And so I turned this into a business and then I started to get approached by publishers and suddenly I thought, Oh, I could have a book deal. You know, Oh, this would be fun. You know, the dreams that little girl's dreams of writing a book one day were coming to be right in front. And I had a book idea from all of the lessons I'd learned. And I told, I was talking to Wiley at the time, the publisher Wiley, and they basically said, oh yeah, you know, that's a general real estate book. It's been done before. So, you know, we don't want to do that, but we like you. So here's a book idea. So they gave me a book idea. We went back and forth for three months, developing the proposal together. So it could never cross my mind that I wasn't getting a book deal, but the email that I got in the end, when I thought it was going to be the deal was an email saying the marketing department doesn't think you have a strong enough platform to sell books. So first they didn't like my idea. Now they didn't like me. <laughs> wow. Such a tough blow. So I, you know, it took a while. It's not to say I just rebounded and I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'll do it on my own. And, you know, it took a little bit for my ego to recover enough for mm-hmm. me to go, you know what? Like I do believe in that first book idea and I am going to find a way to publish it. And so that's what got me into self-publishing. My husband at the time, he said, uh, he's still my husband, but at the time, my husband said, why don't you self-publish? And I, in many ways, I felt like self-publishing was giving up or that it wouldn't be a real book. Like I had some of these biases that some people I'm sure have still, but in the end, I think it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because two things, I went into it going, okay, I'm going to do it better than Wiley. And in fact, I did. I took my book to number one on Amazon. I, I was in Canada at the time, but it was still number one on Amazon ahead of Game of Thrones, ahead of Dan Brown. It was number one as a print book, uh, wow. self-published real estate book. You know, Wiley hasn't taken a real estate book in Canada to number one. As far as I know, couldn't find any evidence of it anywhere. So that was one thing. But the other thing is I ended up owning all my rights, owning all my royalties. I made way more money than I ever would have made with a book deal. And 
ultimately it opened my eyes to the problems and the differences between self-publishing and traditional publishing. And people started to ask me for help and, you know, long story condensed, my love was in the books, not in the real estate. Mm. And so little bit by bit, I was just getting called and, you know, it's like that little kid that's tugging at your jacket and you're like, Mm -hmm. not now, not now. And, (laughs) you know, and then finally it was now, and I started book launchers and it's, I feel like everything I have done in my life has prepared me for this mm-hmm. company and for what I'm doing right now. So it's really, really cool. Mm-hmm. I agree hundred percent. It's funny how looking back, you can see the connection points in the moment. You don't always see them, but then you're able to see, wow, I actually developed the skill in this role or in this job or with this company that I built. And it's so really cool how nothing is wasted and it all works together to help make you the person that you are today. So the door shutting actually ended up being a huge opportunity. I love some of the things that you talked about being able to actually make more money publishing it yourself than if you had gotten that deal. And then there are some benefits as you've talked about to self-publishing rather than traditional publishing, being able to hold on to your rights, all of that good stuff, which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about in our interview. So you started this new company, Book Launchers, and you started helping business leaders write their books. Now we've talked about how important this can be to help grow or scale a business. And you have a belief that a book is actually a better credential than you know another degree. Tell us a little bit about why you believe that is true. Well, one is that when you look around your industry, everybody has the same credentials. So how are you standing out in your industry? If you write the book on the subject, then you become the expert in that subject. And so now you have that differentiator. And in fact, we were talking before about how I have a client who doesn't even have the credentials Mm -hmm. and makes more money as a consultant than a lot of the certified financial planners that also write books. (laughs) So he's been able to use his book to really position himself and charge more than the people who have the credentials. So it's really, really a great way to position. And for me, the belief really stemmed from the fact that, you know, I have an MBA in real estate and finance, and that's not what raised capital. What raised capital for my investment business was when my book came out and people read it and, you know, strangers called us up and said, I have $250,000. Can I invest it in your property? And you're going, who are you? Like, like, is this a scam? And that's, that's the difference, right? The MBA didn't raise money. The book did. Mm -hmm. You know, and we talked about this a little bit. Having a degree doesn't guarantee that you actually know what you are talking about and that you are able to apply the information that was taught. The great thing about books is it allows us to demonstrate what we know and to prove our expertise with a pretty minimal investment, a person can get a peek into what we can bring to the table. And so books, I agree with you, are so powerful. One of the things that I think is a challenge for a person that wants to use a book to build a business is really understanding what's important. So, you know, in conversations with people as they are pursuing their dream, you know, sometimes there's this decision-making process that they're going through of trying to figure out, well, what am I going to do myself versus what am I going to hire for? I know, and you and I share this belief, I think there's a tremendous value in getting assistance. Let's talk a little bit about why it's so important that we think through this process of how the book is put together, how it looks and how it presents, especially when you want to use it to build or grow a business. 
there's so much we could talk about with this because there's so many different ways to take it. But I mean, first thing to think about is just because you can do something all yourself doesn't mean you should. And I've met too many people that are embarrassed about their first book. You know, they go, oh, that was my practice book. Oh, don't look me up because I don't want you to see what I did. And the thing is, once your book is out there, it's almost impossible to fully get it back off of the internet because there's all these secondary sellers that are out there that will grab your book. And no matter, even if you delist it off Amazon, it's the secondary seller still has it. Unless you're going to go and try and buy every copy that's out there, you're going to have a book that you're embarrassed about. (laughs) And that's your brand. So somebody's, you know, you're saying, okay, yeah, I've got this consulting package. It's 5,000 for this. It's 10,000 for this. And then they go and they download this book and it's full of typos and it's got an ugly cover. Does that match with the brand that you want out there in the world? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of part one of it. But part two is the problem that a lot of people do because they can do all of this stuff themselves. They think maybe they should, but nobody has all the skills that are required for a book. You know, at our, at our company, I think 11 or 12 experts touch your book in order for everything that needs to happen, happen. Cause there's research, there's keyword research, category research, competition research. There's more stuff than people think. Most people think editing and cover design. Well, <laughs> yes, that's definitely fundamental to this, but you know, do you have a great story? Do you have a great writing plan? And have you thought through, okay, how am I going to sell the book at the end? And how am I going to actually get it out there? So, you know, we have marketing experts that are going to work with you to figure out, okay, who's my market? Who's my reader? Am I going to be able to reach them? Because if you're sitting there thinking your reader is, oh, women between the ages of 20 to 40, I got news for you, but you're not going to find them. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I said there's so many places I could take this. So if we want to dive deeper into one, let me know. (laughs) Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I love the example that you gave because it's a passion of mine as well. I think it just naturally flows. If you desire to be a speaker, a coach, or a consultant, that a book is a part of that package. And the example that you gave of people, you know, kind of looking you up to see what you have out there, it's true. It, once it's out, it's almost like, I guess it is like social media. Like it's never really, you could delete the post, but it's never really a hundred percent gone. So just thinking about the fact that the book represents you and your brand is really an important piece of this equation. And so ultimately, Julie, would you agree that the book is a business in its own way? It's a product that you have to release to the market. And so you have to be thinking about all of the same elements that you would think about if you were, you know, starting a business for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is, the book often becomes the center and the business builds around it. And everything you're doing with that book needs to tie back to your goals, which is the same as the business. You know, if you've got the goals for the business and you choose where you're going to invest your money, who you're going to hire in order to achieve those goals, it's the same with the book. You know, you choose where you're going to invest in the book. You know, who do you need to hire in order to achieve the goals for the book and ultimately the bigger goals of why you're doing the book and what you're going to use the book for. Mm hmm. Now, one of the things that you are very, very passionate about, and I think is really important, is making sure that nonfiction books aren't boring. Tell us about your experience of getting manuscripts and why that word boring really sticks out for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it originated from me reading a ton of real estate books to you know become a great investor and be able to coach others. And all of them, once you've read a couple, it felt like they were all the same, but I would force myself to read them in case there was that one nugget that I didn't know. And in my head, I just kept thinking, this is so boring, but I would force myself to go through it. And then as I've seen, I don't even know how many books come through book launchers. 
you start to see the same thing happening. People are regurgitating the same messages. I even did a video one day about please don't use the SMART goals in your book because every, I can't even tell you how many books have the SMART goal framework. I'm like, come up with something new. And that's boring, right? Once you've read the SMART goal framework twice, you don't really want to read it again. You want something new. You want a new perspective. And so when you start seeing the same thing over and over again, it's boring. (laughs) So it has to be different. And chapter titles too. I mean, find your why is a very common chapter title. And then conclusion and the number of people who put conclusion, I mean, that doesn't make you want to finish reading the book. Conclusion, like can't it be a call to action or something exciting? (laughs) I could go on, but. (laughs) Well, it's it's a really great point and it will help us talk a little bit about the importance. And I know you and I share this passion of marketing being a huge part of this and marketing is not something that we think about after the book is out or even just before launch. Uh, Marketing is what we're thinking about as we are writing the book. So talk to us about how, from your perspective, marketing plays a huge role, even as you're going through the process of figuring out what to include in your book. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons my first book did well was because I intimately knew the reader because I had been the reader. That's not always the case. People aren't always the ideal reader for their book, but I had been that reader who'd taken get rich quick real estate investing courses. I'd bought properties that you know were other people's money properties and they were really other people's problem properties. And so there was all of these lessons that I could see people doing the same mistakes or making the same mistakes that I had made that really needed this core message of investing for your life, not investing for these kind of numbers and deals that these courses taught. So I knew that reader intimately. And by knowing that reader intimately, I also knew where they were trying to solve the problem and the problems that were arising because of that. I knew what they were listening to, where they were, what conferences they were attending. So I had a marketing plan. Like that's what people don't always realize. But when you know who your reader is and what they're doing right now to try to solve the problem or get the result that you're offering, you can then go, okay, well, they listen to these podcasts, they attend these events, they read this magazine. And you can create a marketing plan before you even start writing. That's, that's kind of part one. And then part two is, you know, the problem they have, like what's in their head right now and how you're going to get them to that desired outcome and just do it that little bit different than other people. And so that's your, you know, that's the hook. That's the backbone of your book. And that is the marketing hook too. That's what you're going to be talking about when your book comes out. So everything that goes into your book has to tie back to that hook. And you might have lots of great stories that don't fit, but you can save them for another book in the future. But you just focus on what they need to know in order to achieve that outcome at the end. Absolutely. It requires a great deal of discipline and focus to really be able to put out a book that's impactful and accomplishes the objective. So I know at Book Launchers, One of the things that you do is you have writing coaches that kind of take the journey with that author to make sure that they're kind of being held accountable to that is is one of the things that I believe. Would, Would you agree? Talk to us a little bit about how that writing coach makes sure that the finished product really aligns to the objectives. Yeah. So the writing coach's job is threefold. One is accountability. So just kind of keeping people on point to get the book done. One is emotional support. Because the vast majority of writers will go through moments where they think their book is the greatest thing. It's going to sell really well. And then they go through moments where they think it's trash and nobody's going to read it. And so the writing coach helps stabilize that because chances are your book is neither the future, you know, million seller and chances are it's not trash either. So (laughs) 
(laughs) So we're going to stabilize that. And then they give writing support. And for us, the writing support is kind of twofold. One is that a lot of people start writing one book and then just take a detour and (laughs) they find themselves writing a totally different book. Sometimes that's just part of the process to find the book you're supposed to write, but it's inefficient. So we try to keep them on point with that. But then they also provide support to dig deeper because especially business folks, I find tend to stay on the surface. And then again, that's boring, right? People want to get to know you. They want to know if everything wasn't easy. One of the few books that we just couldn't make work was this guy who he'd had a perfect life. And nobody can relate to a perfect life, but he, you know, he married his high school sweetheart. His parents had money. He got into a certain business and the business went really well for him. And so there he was, you know, this perfect life where he hadn't had any hard lessons. And we were like, there's no book here. You can interview people. You can interview people. You can do research, but he wasn't (laughs) willing to do that. And we were like, there's no book here. This is boring. So you got to get deeper and share Mm. the things that you've, you know, the mistakes you've made, the things you've done wrong, those hard lessons, you know, those tough days, those make the best chapters in a book. I love it. I agree. I think, you know, as I hear you say that, I'm thinking about some of the aspiring authors that I've talked to, the manuscripts that I've read. And we talked about this a bit. The balance is that, yes, the story makes your book interesting, but there's also a such thing as going too far with the story or the story taking over the book. So I'd love to hear your perspective on how a new author strikes that balance between being relatable through their story and making sure that we're giving the reader what they really need. Again, if you're really clear on your reader and you always go back to them, then it's easier to just tell the stories that you need to tell. But what happens for a lot of people is people hear your story and they go, wow, your story is amazing. You need to write a book. And then they end up writing the story thinking that my story is important. So I need to write my story. And the story might be about you, but it's not for you. It's for the reader. And there are a tremendous number of details the reader doesn't know. We also have this weird I don't know, habit or approach, which most people go chronologically. So it's literally like going, when I woke up, it was sunny that day. And I put on my socks and I, I looked at the cereal and I was out of special K. So I had to eat Cheerios. And like, that's how people start. I'm <laughs> yes. No one wants and, to read that. No one no, wants to read that. You got to just go, what do they need to know? And it's like, oh, I went to the bank and it was robbed that day, right? Like you just, yeah. you it's start with the most important. And when you cut to the chase of exactly what they need to know, it doesn't have to be like five chapters long. You can often tell a really great story in a single page. Mm-hmm. So true. And I think the audience is really looking for, and you talked about this today and as well as in the book, what's really going to attract that reader's attention is the hook because the hook relates to the problem that they have or the question that they're looking to have answered. And so if you get lost in telling your own personal story and lose sight of the hook, then you might as well stop now. <laughs> So if you're listening to us, please take heed. There is a balancing act. And the way I like to think of it, to simplify it is, yes, you're telling your story, but it's also self-help. You've got to give people practical steps or principles that they can apply. Sure, your personal journey can help support that. But what people really want to know is how did you get from point A to point B or what lessons did you learn that are Mm -hmm. going to help me? So don't forget about the fact that the person that's really the client in this is your reader. And your job is to make sure that you're delivering a good product for them. Many people in our listening audience, Julie, are battling 
not only the things that we've talked about, you know, just trying to navigate and figure out how do I pull off putting this book together and, and companies like yours can certainly help with that process. But there are also some external and internal voices that we're up against in this journey as well. Chapter eight of your book, you talk about an experience with someone that was near and dear to your heart and how it impacted you. I wonder if you could share a little bit about that story. Yeah, for sure. So in my book, I talk about my grandma abroad. And in my second book, I think I had dedicated an entire chapter to grandma abroad. That's how impactful she was in my life. So I talked about her lessons. She always taught me that if you have a bad day, it's your own fault. It doesn't matter what happens, you know, it's how you react. And so, you know, this is my grandma abroad. And when we decided to move from Canada to Los Angeles, my husband had gotten into acting and I wanted to fully support him. And it was kind of the impetus and opportunity for me to create book launchers. And so we were planning the move. And of course, as life does, you know, <laughs> we'd been trying to have a baby and it wasn't, nothing was happening. So we planned to move to Los Angeles and then we got pregnant. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Because that's, that's how life goes. That's how it works. And then everybody assumed we wouldn't go. But I was like, no, like, this is the plan. We're still going. The baby's going too. You know? funny. <laughs> um, but, but grandma deeply thought this was a big mistake. And she wrote a four page letter talking about how she believed we shouldn't go. And she even said, you know, everybody in Hollywood does drugs, you know, and gets divorced and like all of this kind of stuff. And it was devastating because we were up against a lot of resistance from a lot of people about the move and to have her, one of the people that I thought would be my supporter, write this letter. It was devastating. And it was so hard. I couldn't even finish reading the letter. I still, to this day, my grandma passed a few years ago, but I, I put it away. I still have it, but I didn't finish reading it because I got three quarters of the way through and it was just so hard to believe. And I didn't talk to her for a few months where we're, we were quite close because it was just so hard to believe she wasn't supporting me. And it's hard. And people do that all the time. And in the end, I kind of reconciled it with, she believed she was protecting me and she did it for the best reasons, but yeah. Mm -hmm. And I believe that there are many people that are listening to us right now <laughs> that are battling that. And then what often happens, as you know, is now we internalize that you know, feedback that we've received and we make it our own instead of realizing that it's that person and their fears and their desire to protect us, we internalize that. And then there's this internal battle of, am I good enough to actually pull this off? Right. So it, yeah. it certainly is a really big, truthfully, accomplishment to actually be able to make it through this entire process and get it done. Right. You know, there's so many pieces in this puzzle. And that's why having assistance. You've heard me say this many times, those that are listening, having assistance is a good decision. It makes yeah. it easier on so many levels. But one of the reasons too, is to keep you out of your own head and keep you from talking yourself out of getting that message that you've been called to get out into the world, just because there are naysayers. Now you and I both mm -hmm. know too, that, I mean, if naysayers are going to stop you, you may as well stop now because wait until you get a bad review or, yeah. <laughs> or someone doesn't like your speech or, or whatever the case may be. Right. So there has to be an acceptance that everyone's not going to be on board with what you're looking to do, but you really have to believe in the message that you've been given. Make sure that you get the right support so that you can deliver something that is a good experience for the reader and build from there. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, in some instances, there is resistance to getting assistance 
because there's a kind of a debate, a discussion out there. Well, there's two camps. There's the traditional publishing path mm-hmm. where, of course, you know, the publisher comes in and they provide all of the support and the people and the resources to get this book off the ground. And then there is the vanity press, which is going to take advantage of you. They're going to ask for money and it's just going to be a waste of time. Talk to us about your view of vanity press and then help our audience. I just want to bring another voice into this because I talk about this often. Why those aren't the only two paths? Yeah, for sure. I mean, vanity press is really, I believe, the reason self-publishing has a bad name because they do exactly what you said. They take money. They produce, often they don't even edit books. And one of the people on my team worked for one of the vanity press in the sales department. And she said there was zero, like it was all about get money in the door. Like that was it. They didn't care. They make it look like you're applying and that you're being accepted and that you've been chosen. But in fact, all they care about is your money. And she, they even taught them how to, you know, oh, well, you can take out a loan on your house and you can like, you know, it's predatory. It's scary what they do. And all of that's just to get your money and get you books that you then have to sell that aren't very good and will probably fall into the category of books you're embarrassed about later. So that's where people think of self-publishing many cases is because of that. And then it becomes a bad thing that you've spent money, right? Mm. But that's not true. I mean, I think it's a spectrum. There's traditional, there's hybrid in the middle. And by the way, hybrid, all vanity publishers are hybrid publishers, but not all hybrid publishers are vanity publishers. The big thing with a hybrid is they are going to charge you some fees for the work because editors and cover designers and things like that are very expensive if you're getting good quality ones. So they're going to charge you, but they're not keeping any rights, but they do often have good distribution. So you can get your book out there. Some of them have marketing with it. Some of them don't, you know, do your research because there's so many different there, but that's the hybrid. Uh, They typically do keep a royalty on each book. They often charge one or $2 per book sold versus self-publishing, which is you keep all rights you keep all royalties, everything's in your name, but you pay people because it's like the old thing. Like the plumber comes in and fix a leak and it takes two minutes, but you have to pay him $200. Well, you didn't pay him for the two minutes. You paid him to know what to fix. It's kind of the same thing with a book. You know, you pay the editors because they know what to edit. You pay the book cover designers because they've done this a thousand times and can help you stand out, but paying them for their value and for their service is really different than the vanity publisher, which is playing on an ego and selling you garbage. So that's the the three. Now, I just want to touch on traditional really quickly, because a lot of people don't realize when you're giving them your rights, you're giving them your intellectual property and you're now limited. So if somebody wants to turn your book into a TV show, which happens a lot more than you think that people are pursuing this, I've been at conferences where production companies come to our booth and check out the books. They're looking for that next big story. It happens a lot, but you won't have the rights to negotiate that if you've gone traditional. The publisher does, and they'll be going, oh boy, this is going to be fun, but you'll have no control over that whole process. A lot of cases, they even keep the rights to the audiobooks, and then they don't make an audiobook, but you can't make your own audiobook because they own the rights. So It's a big thing that I think, especially business people don't pay enough attention to because this is your content. This is your experience and your expertise and you're selling it. So I won't, I'll stop there. (laughs) But it's a really great point because I think there's so much affinity for the traditional publishing deal. In some ways, it's a validation that 
your concept is worthy because someone's going to be willing to support you and come alongside you, but it comes at a price, right? So it's important for our audience to understand and for it to be reinforced because we talk about this often that, listen, you really got to think about your goals and objectives. I think that's the big thing going into this is what is it that you really want? And if you truly want to maximize your profit potential from the book, self-publishing is going to be your best path. And we've talked about how you know, this book can just be a piece of a bigger picture that allows you to, you know, consult and to speak and to coach and to grow your business and your authority. So it doesn't have to be. And often, as you say, in the beginning of your book, you know, it's not really so much about how many books sell. It's about what the book opens the door for you to do, how it positions you and how it elevates your brand. So I'm just happy to have a champion in that process that these things are really, really important and we need to focus on them. I can't believe it. We're at the point where we've talked and we're about out of time. So I, (laughs) I appreciate you being here, but I just, I have to ask this one final question. You know, many people in our listening audience have that grandma broad or someone in their life that just doesn't believe in the dream doesn't believe that it's possible. And they may be internalizing that even right now and listening to your story and thinking, wow, that sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. What would your number one piece of advice be to that person that is trying to work through that so that they can get their book out into the world? Whenever somebody says something like that, it's not really directed at you. It's their own fears. So you know, that's the thing is to realize that that my grandma broad was afraid, but she was afraid for herself. Like this is her own fear that she's projecting onto me. And it's always the case. My husband was trying to get a six pack abs for one of his birthdays and people would say weird things. And you just know, it's like, they're feeling bad because they're not putting in the effort to get fit themselves. And so that's one part of it. But for me, whenever I find any kind of ego issues are popping up or anything, I really just go back to that reader and how I'm going to help them. And what's going to go wrong for that reader? If I don't get this book out there, how are they going to solve this problem? And how are they, like, are they going to be left floundering? What bad things are going to happen to them? And again, if I make it about somebody else, I can kind of push past and go, okay, grandma broad, I, you know, thank you for your thoughts. You know, I appreciate you wanting to protect me. And this is something I know I have to do. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed this week's episode of Publishing Secrets where our mission is to inspire you to write, publish, and profit in a way that honors God. If this episode has been a blessing to you, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, then rate and review. And if you want support in your journey, whether you are a current author or an aspiring author, then join us on Facebook in the Christian Authors Network. Wherever you are in your journey, we have the best next step for you. So join us there and get the support that you need to make the impact that you have been called to make. Until next time, God bless.